Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today we are going to talk about college football. We are going to talk about the Michigan-Ohio State game, and I'm also going to talk about the three most recent big-time hires in college football. What are their impacts? What is the impact of Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati to go to Wisconsin? Kind of a shocker move. Came out of nowhere. Matt Rule going to Nebraska, one we kind of saw coming, and Auburn, in a way, having to settle for Hugh Freeze when Lane Kiffin clearly did not want to leave Ole Miss and go to Auburn. But first, I want to talk about the Michigan-Ohio State game. Michigan, the score makes it look a little bit like Michigan kind of blew out Ohio State. That game was pretty close for about three quarters, and I normally wouldn't talk about this because a lot of times I like to talk about things on this podcast that other people aren't talking about. And I think the big part with Michigan here that no one is talking about in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry and this game and the fallout from this game, here's what people are saying. Everyone's focusing on Ohio State. They're saying, Ryan Day, how dare he? How dare he lose to Michigan twice? You cannot do that if you're Ohio State. Is Ohio State, is the rivalry flipping? Is Ryan Day on the hot seat? Is Ryan Day potentially, not not that he's going to get fired, but is he this going to be the start of the fall for Ryan Day at Ohio State? And everyone wants to talk about that. But what I want to talk about is something that I don't think anyone's talking about, and that is the Michigan side of all of this. Michigan, right now, this is the best shot that they've had to win a national title in 25 years. I think they're the one where they won with Lloyd Carr was like 97. So yeah, around 25 years. Let's look at the roadmap here. Yes, they were in the playoff last year. Yes, they've had some good teams in the past few decades. But even last year, they did get kind of screwed over with the committee challenging them to play Georgia when Alabama would have been a much more fair matchup and probably would have been a bunch better television matchup, which I'm still mad at the committee for doing that. Now I'm also recording this right now on Tuesday night. So we did just find out that the college football playoff committee put Georgia at number one and they put Michigan at number two. So those one and two are probably going to stay the same unless Georgia were to lose to LSU in the SEC championship game. That probably that loss, unless they got like blown out like 52 to three, which is probably not going to happen. Georgia's staying at number one or they're at least staying in the top four. But you look around the teams that could potentially get into the playoff. The fact that you're only going to have one big 10 team, which could be Michigan and potentially only one SEC team, that would be Georgia. That makes the roadmap for Michigan way easier. You have TCU, who I don't think was ranked at the beginning of the season. USC with a first-year head coach, a lot of new pieces. Not sure if they... Have they really been tested in the Pac-12? Yes, they played Notre Dame, too. Yes, there are a lot of good Pac-12 teams this year. I think Pac-12 has like five or six teams ranked right now, which is really impressive for the Pac-12. But I also think that conference is extremely top-heavy where they actually do think they have some good teams, but they also have some pretty bad teams. But Michigan here, this is their best chance to win a title. Because even if, let's say, let's say even if, uh, let's just say USC, let's say USC loses to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. 
probably means Ohio State's going to fall forward and they're going to fall into the four spot. You're still going to have the opportunity, if you're Michigan, to play a TCU team, which you're probably going to be favored against, and you have a pretty good shot of beating. TCU is a very good, very talented team. But if you're Michigan, you have a five-star quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. You have, you're going to be better than TCU on the offensive line. You should be better at skill positions and in the secondary than TCU is. You should beat TCU. You should have a better coach than TCU. Even if, you know, let's say Ohio State falls into the playoffs somehow from beating Georgia, or uh, or for USC losing, excuse me, you're still going to have to play the winner of that game, and that's probably going to be a lot more an emotionally intensive game for Georgia or Ohio State, or if it's Georgia or USC, you're going to have a really good chance. And let's say, as it's probably going to happen right now, if you look at the gambling odds, Georgia is the favorite right now. They're like minus 120 or something to win the championship. Michigan's plus 120. Let's say it is a Georgia-Michigan matchup, a rematch from the semifinal last year. I think if we look at Georgia this year, comparing them to last year, I don't know if we'd say Georgia's gotten better. Maybe their offense has been more consistent. Their defense is definitely worse, even though it's still amazing, even though it's still very talented. It had to have gotten worse in some way. And on the other end, you have Michigan here. J.J. McCarthy, better than Cade McManera. We found out Cade McManera is uh, transferring, set to enter the transfer portal. So you have an upgrade at the quarterback position. You have a legit Heisman candidate in Blake Corum. Hopefully he's healthy by that game. He was a little beat up in the game last week, even though that really didn't bother Michigan too much. The offensive line has improved. The defense has improved. This is Michigan's best shot at winning a national championship in a long time, and I think that's what we should really be focusing on here when we're talking about Michigan. Because this... Next year, it might not be the same thing. You're not going to have a 14 playoff again where you're going to have Alabama be outside of it. We're coming into this year, and probably most people were saying the most talented teams in the country are Alabama and Ohio State, and they still might be the two most talented teams in the country. But you get to avoid them if you're Michigan. You get to avoid them in the playoff. This is going to be your best chance if you're Jim Harbaugh, if you're Michigan, to ever win a national title. Does that mean if they win this one, they'll never win another one? No, of course not. We don't know that. This can completely change the tide of Michigan's recruiting. They could start, you know, everything could change. Everything's up in the air. J.J. McCarthy could really explode next year and become, you know, the next it quarterback or something like that. There's a lot of talent on this team. They're going to keep getting more talent. But you just talk about wide open opportunities. They're like plus 120 to win the title right now. And if we're going to do odds for next year the next five years heading into conference championship weekend is Michigan going to be plus 120 to win the title again anytime in the next five years I would probably say no does that mean they're going to be bad does that mean they're going to fall off a cliff does that mean they're not going to make another playoff does that mean they're not going to make another championship game no but this is Michigan's best chance to win a title and I hope that they understand that and I hope they take this as seriously as they can, and I wish Michigan the best luck because I want to see a new champion. I don't want to see Georgia repeat. Frankly, I really don't want to see Ohio State or Alabama slip back in because if they do slip back in, and this is the second part of the conversation I want to have, 
people are talking about Ryan Day at Ohio State and how everything slipped and things are just the house isn't on fire for Ohio State. If you go on to gambling sites right now, Ohio State's actually third in the odds right now to win the national championship. They're plus 1,000. They're plus 1,000 to win the national championship right now. The reason they're plus 1,000 is because USC and TCU are projected to win their conference championship games, and if that happens, Ohio State ain't making the playoff. So I say nothing to worry about if you're Ohio State. You're still Ohio State. You're still going to get awesome recruits. You had a first-year defensive coordinator. That guy's not going to 100% fix everything. It seems like play calling was a little off in that Big Ten or uh, the game against Michigan. Again, that game was closer than the final score makes it look. And the thing is, too, when we talk about, you know, getting rid of divisions in college football, I mean, that's only going to affect the good teams. And I think that kind of sucks because if we didn't have divisions, Ohio State and Michigan would probably just play again this weekend and Ohio State would win that game and then Ohio State might go on and win the whole damn thing. So there you have it with that. All right, now I want to talk about three big hires that happen in college football, three programs that are consider think of themselves very highly, three programs that invested pretty heavily in their coaching searches this past year, three teams that fired their coaches very, very early this season, so they had a long time to do this coaching search. The first one I want to talk about is Wisconsin. Wisconsin hires Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. This was a kind of a shocker. It came out of nowhere. We knew Luke Fickle was a coach that was highly sought after by SEC teams, by Michigan at one point. It was kind of a few years ago. It was like Michigan wanted to get rid of Harbaugh and hire Luke Fickle, but Luke Fickle's an Ohio State guy, so Luke Fickle would never go to Michigan. It seemed like LSU might have wanted him, maybe USC, Notre Dame to a degree. Florida, Luke Fickle out of nowhere just jumps ship to go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin made the right hire. This is the smart hire. This is a guy that's going to jump into the Big Ten West. Now, I want to grade this by, like, if there is still divisions. Because, again, you know, if we're going to grade them by, like, the whole conference, Wisconsin's still a step below Michigan, Ohio State, and probably Penn State. But if anything, this makes Luke Fickle one of the top three or four, you can maybe even say two, head coaches in the Big Ten. This is a no-brainer hire. This is a guy that has been experience, has, has experience building rosters, has experience taking a team to the playoff, has experience being a head coach for several years now, and plays this kind of physical brand of football. He's a defensive guy, former Ohio State guy. This is the no-brainer hire for Wisconsin, and it should be a home run. Wisconsin gets recruits, and comparing that to the rest of the Big Ten West, you have Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Illinois. Luke Fickle should be head and shoulders, maybe not head and shoulders, but should be the best coach in the Big Ten West now. You should see Wisconsin have a pretty quick turnaround. I don't think it's going to take long for Wisconsin to be really good, really fast under Luke Fickle. Now, competing for national championships, that's a different story. But getting back to the Wisconsin way of winning 9, 10, 11 games a year, I think that'll happen pretty fast, if not ne by next year, if they can utilize the transfer portal and get some talent in there. Okay. 
Matt Rule, the former Temple coach, former Baylor coach, and uh, recently fired Carolina Panthers head coach, got hired by the Nebraska Cornhuskers with a massive deal. This is an all-in move by Nebraska. People that didn't see this. Now, again, I just saw this on Twitter. I don't know if this has been confirmed. It seemed by it was like from a Nebraska reporter, so I'm pretty sure it's a pretty reliable source. Matt Rule signs with Nebraska on a eight-year, $74 million deal. 90% of that's guaranteed. Uh, the math on that, it's like around, it's like nine and a quarter million a year. And like eight million of that's basically be guaranteed. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And basically my thoughts are I'm gonna kinda of do a little bit of a cop out here with Matt Rule at Nebraska. Because like I don't know. I don't know what to think about Matt Rule. If you look at what he did at Baylor, if you look at what he did at Temple, you would think that yeah, this is a smart hire and Nebraska made the right move. They made the smart hire. They have a guy that has experience coaching in big games, a guy that's coached in the NFL, a guy that has turned around multiple programs at this point, and you would believe that he should do the same here at Nebraska. Now, I just want to talk about a few things here with Matt Rule that I think are a tad bit concerning. Now, again, I'm more my I'm kind of zagging with everyone on this hire. I'm more leaning like this isn't going to work. Do I have a good reason for it? Not really. Is it easier for me to say that every head coaching hire isn't going to work? Because that's just a sport. Every person that's a coach that gets hired typically gets fired. It's probably like a 90-something percent fire rate. That's just the sport. So me saying this isn't going to work isn't really that bold. Um... Now, if I say it's going to be an object disaster and that this will be over in three years or something, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Matt Rule will be there more than half of that contract. But is Matt Rule going to bring back Nebraska to like where Bo Pelini had them? I actually don't think that's going to be the case. And I think there's going to be a few reasons why. And here's what I'm, and here they are. The first one. And I think this is something that people don't think about, but I actually think this is a real thing. It's the NFL stink. I think when you go to the NFL, or it's it's really weird, right? Because someone like Tom Herman was super coveted as a head coach. He was so coveted as a head coach that when he went to Texas, like he went to Texas and he actually did okay at Texas. His first two years at Texas are better than Sark's first two years. And Tom Herman was left with a lot less at Texas than Sark did. It was at Texas and Tom Herman can't even get a big time coordinator job. Now he can't get a head coaching job. Now maybe he's not wanting one. I'm not, particularly sure about that but it's kind of interesting I feel like if Tom Herman went to let's say the Houston Texans and was the Houston after after Houston and was the Houston Texan Texans head coach for like three years and that flay it flailed out that he probably could have went back to college 
and had a bigger, you know, and still gotten like a pretty decent job. But the fact that it was college and, you know, maybe wasn't that well liked, things didn't end that well, there's a little bit of a stink and he can't find another head coaching job. With Matt Rule, he goes to the NFL, flails out there. He was kind of mocked in the NFL. People thought this guy was an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's in over his head. Uh, Bad in-game decision-making coach. And I think when you fail in the NFL, I do think there's a little bit of a stink with that. I do think some players might, you know, when things, because typically this is how things go. Every team in any sports going to have to face some sort of adversity. And, you know, sometimes when people are getting barked at and yelled at, some people don't like that. And if they're getting barked and yelled at by the guy that failed in the NFL, sometimes those guys aren't going to react as well to that as you'd maybe think. So when you fail in the NFL, I do think it's different than failing in college, but I do think there's going to be some NFL stink with him and, We'll just kind of see how that is. I mean, I could be completely wrong. Maybe, you know, he jumps in immediately and turns things around right away. But I do think that is something to monitor a little bit. The NFL thing was not great. Reason number two, or concern number two. College football, What the last time Matt Rule coached in college football was the year 2019. Think about how everything was different in 2019. We weren't worried about conference realignment. Uh, It was illegal to pay players. The transfer portal wasn't up and running the way that it is now. We didn't have a COVID-19 pandemic. Things are a lot... Coaches weren't giving out eight-year contracts after they suck booty cheeks at an NFL job. People weren't given extensions after having crazy extensions after giving one good season. Athletic departments weren't willing to just pump and pump money into programs. I mean, some were, but now we're investing a lot more in coaching staffs and recruiting staffs. And again, with all those factors involved, it makes the job, I think, maybe more difficult in some ways, less difficult in others. You're going to have to manage NIL now and NIL money. That's going to be a factor in recruiting. It's a completely different world than 2019, and it still remains to be seen how Matt Rule is going to deal with that. Some coaches have dealt with it really well, and other ones haven't. I'm not sure if Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney have been handling this that well. Is it a coincidence the last two years with NIL, Clemson's been kind of like, at least by Clemson standards, a mess. Alabama's seen a little bit more vulnerable than ever before. Wisconsin fell apart. Ohio State even now, you know, two years in a row, Ohio State hasn't been Ohio State that we used to know and love. Oklahoma's kind of falling apart. It's a completely different world in college football. And can Matt Rule handle that? Can a lot of coaches handle that? We're not sure. And I guess we'll find out. Concern number three, the Nebraska of it all. You're going to Nebraska. Nebraska has basically had to lower and lower and lower and lower. It's been a gradual kind of 
escalator ride down for Nebraska the last 25 years to where they have these low standards now. And you could say, well, now Nebraska, they have fallen down so hard that they want a coach that will come in and we're going to have him come in. He's just going to do his job. We're going to let him do his job. I also think too, and this is kind of related to the last reason, as we've seen with a lot of coaches over the last few years in teams and programs, these turnarounds are happening a lot faster. Now, now is it a hundred percent? Every college team that turn around turns it around doesn't in the first two years. No, but we're seeing, it seems like to me, we're seeing a lot of teams turn it around very, very fast, especially if they have the players. Nebraska at one point in this summer with the talent that was on this roster from analytics that we had taken from the 2021 season said, Nebraska should win the big 10 West. Nebraska's over under was at seven and a half wins this year. Nebraska, at least, they could have at least talked themselves into being good this year and Scott Frost having turned things around. How patient is Nebraska going to be? The last time Nebraska made it to a bowl game, Barack Obama was president. They made it to a bowl game. That was a long time ago. And we can sit here and say, oh, they're going to be patient and all these things are going to happen. People totally messed with Scott Frost. Now, with Scott Frost, he you could just watch him on the sidelines. That guy was in over his head. Um, you heard stories about him where he was just not getting along with people. He would, like, take over play calling, like, late in games and start calling calls that, like, the team didn't um, work on in practice. So that's why you would just see them just completely not be able to make plays late is because it was just dumb play calling. Can you win at Nebraska? I, I think that's something to think of. Yes, you can just throw money at a coaching staff, at a program. But if you're not going to let people do their jobs, and I even think, too, sometimes when you throw money at stuff, it, people know how much you make. And sometimes, too, it's like, I think even Miami saw this a little bit this year, or even Michigan State. They threw Those are two programs that threw so much money into their coaching staff, and sometimes I wonder how players even react to that. If they just see, you know, even at Michigan State this year too, you're probably a player, and you see Mel Tucker's contract, I don't know, did it double? Are you sitting there thinking like, hey, I'm the guy that was blocking and doing all the work out on the field, and this guy's the guy that gets more money? Oh, yeah, cool, I get a 2% bump on my NIL deal. That's cool, but why can't I get that money? And there is, when you throw money into all of this stuff, it makes things more complicated. These are humans with emotions, good, bad, and indifferent. With Nebraska and being in the Big Ten, part of me also wonders, too, the fact that this Big Ten contract, this new media contract that they have coming, you know, we're having USC and UCLA join the conference pretty soon. What does that do for, I don't know, the landscape of the conference? It's going to be harder to win, you know, because it's even with the SEC, they're like, huh, Texas and Oklahoma think they're going to come in and compete in this conference. They're not coming in to be your punching bag. They're coming in to win. 
and they're going to have more resources. They're going to have more money and they're going to be able to recruit at the level that you are now. So watch out. It's the same thing with UC, USC and UCLA. Now, I think they have more recruiting challenges just because of the geography of it all. But I wonder with the Big Ten money, are these Big Ten teams going to start acting more like SEC teams and hold themselves to higher standards and start, because they just have a bigger you know, bank account, are they just going to start you know, firing coaches more willy-nilly than they do before? So... I don't know with Matt Rule. I'm going to lean more that it doesn't work. I know these might not be good reasons, but I think that's about it. The last concern I have here is the Scott Frost corollary. You know, Matt Rule, this is an eight-year contract. He had a seven-year contract in the NFL. He was at Temple for four years. He was only at Baylor for three. He hasn't been at, like, one place for a long time. And that's something that I think people don't think about enough when we just hire head coaches willy-nilly, especially if you're going to take over like this big-time program. If you've only been a head coach for two years and you're taking over one of the 10 most important programs in the country and you don't know anything about that program, it's harder than you think. It's, sometimes it helps if you are a coach just even at like a G5 school for like seven years. Because then you know what it's like to build one recruiting class and then to re-recruit another recruiting class. How do you deal with success? How do you build off success? How do you deal with failures? And I think the fact that, you know, yes, we saw Matt Rule turn around Temple and have really good seasons at Temple. Yes, we saw Matt Rule turn around Baylor and have a really good season at Baylor and play in a Big Big 12 championship game. But... We don't know what Matt Rule is like in year four, five, and six. We don't know what he's going to be like in years seven and eight, or even if he'll get there. So that's all I have to say about Matt Rule. The last one, Hugh Freeze becomes the head coach at Auburn. This is an SEC retread. Typically when we see retreads that didn't work out the first time, we typically hate it, and we think that these guys are stupid. Now, I like to think... I hate that that's the way that it is, but it makes sense because if you're the guy that does a retread of a guy and hire somebody that failed, like if you're TCU and you hire Sonny Dykes who failed at Cal and then he ends up not working at TCU, you look like an idiot and you're like, of course, he can't coach at this level. Look what he did at Cal. Hugh Freeze, if you remember what he did at Ole Miss, he was, uh, remember that year that Ole Miss just all of a sudden had like the best recruiting class in the country? Oh yeah, it was because they were cheating and pay, playing, paying players. Now I heard an, Ar- an Auburn person say, yeah, do you think they were the only program in the SEC that was doing that? They were just the one that was doing it more openly at that time than other people. And the important thing when it comes to these SEC jobs, and this is what people need to understand in other parts of the country that aren't in there that aren't in that area. And I'm not in that area. So I don't 100% know it. But from what I've learned from people that I've talked to, from stuff that I've listened to and read, if you are going to coach in the SEC, if you're going to coach at Florida, if you're going to coach at Georgia, if you're going to coach at Alabama or Auburn or soon to be Texas and Oklahoma as soon as they join the conference, especially the top of the top 
or the programs that think they're the top of the top of that conference. I do think like South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, Missouri, I guess Texas A&M, throw them at the top of the top too. You have to recruit. You have to try and recruit with Georgia and Alabama and Florida and Texas A&M. You have to try and recruit with them. You have to recruit those same guys. Because if you don't, there, there's people going to be coming for your head. And that's what happened with Brian Harson. You look at that situation, you think that it was a little unfair. Did he get a little bit of a bad rap? Is he really that bad of a coach? No, but you know why he got fired? Because he didn't want to do the recruiting battles. You talk to Florida people. You know what they say? Dan, Dan Mullen didn't want to recruit with Georgia. And that Georgia-Florida thing, that thing's real. And Georgia's all of a sudden stealing players that people in Florida think should be Florida Gators. And when Georgia's winning with those guys, who's going to get blamed for that? The guy that didn't recruit them to Florida. And that's the upside here with Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Even though it is an SEC retread, even though this guy just just got done coaching at Liberty, which is uh, one of the better G5 programs. Hugh Freeze did do a good job there. The upside with this hire is that this guy is going to try and recruit with Alabama, with the likes of Georgia and Florida and the top teams in the SEC. Will he be successful at it? Once he get these players into the building, is he going to be able to develop them? That remains to be seen. To me, this seems like it's going to be the hire before the hire. Like It seems like Hugh Freeze is going to be there. He's going to get some talent in the building. And then Auburn's just going to get like, they're just going to be like, ah, you know what? Your best season was 9-3. and three. Nah, We'll just throw you out there. We'll just give you a buyout. And hopefully we can throw some big money at somebody in like five years. And then hopefully they'll bite. And then we can actually get the right guy in. Another concern with this hire is, and this is, this is the reason, and this is the thing that I'm, if I'm a Texas fan, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, or if I'm another SEC fan, I'd just be a little, these next few years until Texas and Oklahoma get into your conference, I'd just be a little bit more patient with your coaches. I'd just be a little bit more patient. Because I'll tell you this, it's kind of like with any job that you'd ever have. Now, are there some people that are just going to have sometimes delusional confidence and think that any job they walk into, they will succeed at? Yes, of course. But Sometimes coaches don't want to go to a place that you just, you look at the guy that happened before you and you might have started a coup last winter to get him out. You kind of undermined him. You kind of humiliated him in a lot of ways. And a lot of coaches are going to look at this Auburn job and be like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. That looks like a mess. And I'm going to be in the shadow of Alabama on top of that. And it's going to be a question here of how patient is Auburn going to be? Because if you brought in Hugh Freeze to recruit, are you going to let him recruit? Are you going to let him recruit players? Are you going to let him develop those players? Are you going to give him a few years to see what he can do in years three and four? Or are you guys just going to get fed up after he goes six and six and then seven and five in two years and then just fire him like he did Brian Harson? We'll see what they do. Auburn's a program that has very high standards. But again, too, I mean, if you guys give up on Hugh Freeze in two years and Texas and Oklahoma come to the conference, I'm sorry, those jobs are just going to look more appealing 
and your status within the SEC is going to drop down a few pegs. And if you're an SEC team and you have Texas and Oklahoma in, Texas and Oklahoma coming in, you don't want to look more inferior. You don't want to be the seventh best team in the SEC. So I think that's something that Auburn needs to worry about. That's going to do it for the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, Please go subscribe to the podcast. Go check out previous episodes. We are probably, I'm going on a little bit of a trip. I don't know. I'm recording this Tuesday night. I don't know when this is going to air. I don't know if it's going to come out maybe later in the week before conference championship stuff. Um, I don't know if it's going to come out, you know, maybe tonight or Wednesday, or maybe I'll schedule it for Friday because I do have another kind of show that I've been working on that I will be releasing this week. So again, follow the podcast on Twitter, JDMajor2. Follow it on Instagram, JWSDetective. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, I will see you next time.